Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have my new friend, Claire Bidwell-Smith, on the show. Claire and I met um, maybe about two months ago. I did... uh, I, she interviewed me on Reimagine, and which is an amazing platform um, that explores sort of the death space as well. And we completely clicked and hit it off. And I think there's a lot of parallels in what we're doing. So for those of you who don't know Claire, I've been following, perhaps maybe stalking her for quite some time now. Uh, Claire is a therapist, renowned grief expert, and the author of three books of nonfiction, The Rules of Inheritance, After this, when life is over, where do we go? And anxiety, the missing stage of grief. Claire offers numerous online programs for grief in addition to working with people one-on-one. Led by her own experiences with grief and fueled by her work in hospice and private practice, Claire strives to provide support for all kinds of people experiencing grief. Claire's three books of nonfiction have been published in 19 countries and and received many accolades and praise. The Rules of Inheritance is currently, it says option for television rights, but I think it's being made into a television series. It's in development. It's in development Um, (laughs) and given dozens of talks on grief. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Each episode costs more than you might think. Software tools to make graphics, write my newsletter, audio equipment and engineering, subscriptions to syndicate across Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, it all adds up. In order to stay a sane mom of three school-age kids, I obviously have help producing this podcast. I have help creating it. I have help with a lot because I'm a big believer in asking for help. Um, But all of this comes out of my pocket. So if possible, I would like to continue to keep my podcast ad-free, which means I would love for your help contributing. If just 10% of my listeners contributed on Patreon, I would be able to cover all of the costs of this podcast. So I totally recognize that not everybody can contribute. And 
What I can ask you to do if you can't is to follow me on social media to rate and review the podcast. And you can do that anywhere that you listen to your podcast. There's three little dots on Apple Podcasts where you can go to any episode and rate and review. Um, Also pass the podcast along. Your recommendations are what keeps the podcast alive and keeps the podcast going. So if you feel so compelled to contribute, it would really mean a lot to me. You can do that on Patreon. Uh, Just go to patreon.com and put in Dr. Amy Robbins. Also, please follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, at just Dr. Amy Robbins. Uh, Feel free to send me any emails at team at dramyrobbins.com. And just reach out. I love hearing from you. And I love hearing how the podcast is impacting your life. So here we go with today's episode. Be here, Amy. I'm so happy we met and connected. I know. Me too. So when I first met you, I was, I think I shared with you that I remember coming across your book after this. I don't remember how long it was. And I actually tried to go back through my emails and find it. But I think it was so long ago that it they didn't come up because I remember specifically where I was. I was sitting on a plane, reading your book, feeling so validated because I was in in the um, midst of my own self-discovery as a therapist, as a woman who had experienced these, as you know, sort of um, visitations and really struggling with how to integrate these two parts of myself. And you had already written The Rules of Inheritance, and this was your second book, which was a journey Mm -hmm through, tell us, tell us what it was a journey through. Well, I mean, it was initially born out of some of my personal experiences. I lost both of my parents at a young age. I was 14 when they both got cancer at the same time. And I'm an only child. My mom died when I was 18 and my dad when I was 25. Um, In between those deaths, I had a very dear friend from high school who got very sick. She got leukemia and she died within a year um, during college years. And um, you know, that the book was kind of born with her in a way, her name was Julie and, um, Julie was so young. She'd never lost anybody. She both of her parents were alive, all four of her grandparents, you know, and we would have all these conversations about death and grief. And my mother had died a few years before. So it was a space I was really deep in and, Nobody wanted to talk to Julie about if she might die. You know, every she was 21 years old and everybody was so positive and no one wanted to acknowledge that there was this possibility. Yet it seemed very real from what I was seeing. So she and I would have like these secret conversations about death and what happens when we die and, you know, what's going to happen if she's gone and will we ever be able to talk to each other again or see each other and all these things. So I, I made some, you know, lofty, youthful promises to her on, on her, on her deathbed. Um, I told her that I would try to figure out what happens. <laughs> I would, I would try to contact her. I told her I would name a kid after her. Um, and I told her she was really worried about what would happen when she got to the other side because she didn't know anyone who had died. And I told her that my mom would be there to meet her. Um, and you know, it was just this very profound experience of losing a peer. It's very different to lose a peer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did die. And and then years went by and I, I realized I hadn't made good on any of those promises. Well, hopefully my mom showed up, but um, I, I was working in the hospice as a grief counselor and uh, I, I was, I had had a daughter, didn't name her after Julie. <laughs> I was in my but you 30s. you got there, I, got I think, right? Eventually. I did. I named my second daughter. My second daughter's name is Juliet and she goes by Jules. Um, 
But I was seeing all my clients struggle with like, not struggle, but I think, I think it's a stage of grief. You know, I don't know if we can go through a significant loss and not have this huge, like, wait, what happens when we die? Mm -hmm. Where's my person? You know, Mm -hmm. what's the meaning of all this? Why do some people die and some people don't like why and when and all the things. And so I was really seeing all the people I was working with going through this. I was going through it. I was seeing people see psychic psychic mediums, which is something I had never done. And they were coming back to me with talking about these sessions. And I really had no knowledge of it and had a lot of skepticism. So I was like, okay, I'm going to embark on this book, this journey to find out more. And I saw dozens of psychic mediums. Um, I talked to priests and rabbis. I went to Bali. I did got into shamanism. I did past life regressions. Um, it was a really cool experience for if about we had like, only met in Chicago when you lived I here know, I was there <laughs> one of my favorite mediums I ever met was there um so it was this really really cool experience but I went into it nervous because you know the clinical world um in general and around grief too can just be a little uptight and especially around the subject of mediums and afterlife and some of these alternative therapies. I was afraid to tell any of my my work colleagues what I was doing mm-hmm. um yet what I was finding was like a lot of amazing stuff around the way people were creating new senses of connection with the people they'd lost, you know, Um, and how important that was to their grief process and to their lives and to their relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a really great experience. And then it came out and people have loved the book. And so many people that do alternative therapies and mediumship were so appreciative. You know, I even wrote an article for the New York Times about the validity of psychic mediums. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get slaughtered. <laughs> but even that wasn't a bad experience either. Mm-hmm. Well, and I certainly think probably since the book has come out, it's become more and more Mm-hmm. in our consciousness, this notion of, of trying to connect. Did you, did you ever connect with your friend? Julie? You know, funny, funny enough, I have never really connected with Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents come through all the time. I have a half brother who died who came comes through. I have another dear friend I lost um, while I was working on the book, actually, um, who always comes through. And I feel like I can even feel her more than anybody. Um, but Julie has been elusive and it's oh. it's been really interesting. Um, I I'm not sure what to make of it. So how do you talk to me a little bit about what these past two years have been like in the grief space? Because it's you've been in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my third book, which is called Anxiety, Mm -hmm. the Missing Stage of Grief, came out like during a worldwide pandemic when the entire, you know, globe was going through anxiety and grief. So it was really interesting. I've been doing this work for over a decade. So I felt like I had really, I was ready to like step up to like what was needed. And um, some of what was needed initially, like in 2020, particularly was just people wanting permission to grieve and to acknowledge that everything they were feeling was grief. I kept getting interviewed and asked by people like, is this grief? Is it okay that I'm grieving that, you know, my job is over or that I'm stuck at home or that my kids are home or that I can't go to this wedding? Is that grief? And and it was like, yeah, guys, yeah, mm-hmm. we grieve for so much, so many things. It doesn't have to just be a person that we've lost. We can grieve. We grieve throughout our lifetimes. Yes. It's a part of our, it's a part of our journey, you know? Well, and I think grief I mean, I think grief and joy often walk hand in hand, Absolutely. you know, that there's wonderful things. I mean, I think about even like 
a marriage or a child, like all of those things bring wonder and excitement and joy. And they also bring grief for what you're losing as a result of making that choice. Yeah. Or headed in that direction. Absolutely. I mean, grief is about loss, but loss is always about change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognizing that and all the changes and transitions we go through in our lifetimes, we're always letting go of something. We're always becoming something else. And with that, there's grief, but that's not a bad thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and you've really taken, it certainly in the past two years, grief perhaps out of the space of death. Because mm-hmm. I think that's how people often think of it. I can only grieve if someone's dying right. into the space of life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think um, I don't want to take away or diminish anyone's like real deep, you know, sorrow and pain that they're going through. But I do think that there's a lot of beauty to grief. I do think there's a lot of positives. Some of that comes down the road as you move through some of the harder parts. But mm-hmm. grief can be so transformative. You know, it asks us to look at every part of who we are in order to move through it and. That's a beautiful thing. Well, and I think you were talking earlier, it really does force us to face sort of this existential question that I think, I mean, I think you've talked in the past about Irving Yalom. I think you've read Mm -hmm. some of his work. I've read some of his work. And one of the things he says is if you don't talk about death, particularly in therapy, then you've never really done a a good piece of or chunk of therapy because that is the existential angst that we all deal with and grief forces us to face that existential. It's like the motor that's running through our lives all the time. I mean, what would it, what would life be like if there was no end to it, right? Like what would be at stake? What would we, you know, worry about accomplishing or not accomplishing or what would anything mean if it just went on and on and on endlessly? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that, that, that it does end and we have a version of it ends, um, gives so much weight and meaning to every moment that we have. So talk to me a little bit about anxiety as part of grief, because I, I've talked on the show and people probably heard, but um, Elizabeth Kubler-Roth's five state, Ross's five stages, everybody believes were supposed to be for the um, living. Mm-hmm. They were not. They were for the dying, the people mm-hmm. who were going through a death process. But how does anxiety fit into this for those who are living still because actually this is what I experienced in my life as well when I was grieving pretty profoundly and didn't put the two together until much later. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Absolutely. Let me just start by saying I love and revere Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I think she was a pioneer. Like she was doing stuff that no nobody was doing. No woman certainly was doing too. And at talks the time. about the afterlife as well. Yeah, she got really kooky, man. If you look yeah. into the rest of her life, yeah. all, all of her stuff. I've been toying around with the idea of writing a biography of her. There is not a proper biography of EKR, and I would really like to tackle that at some point on the rest of my things that I'm doing. But right, right. Just <laughs> add it to the list of the other. Three there. books. She's but you're writing she, three more books right now. So <laughs> I am. <laughs> but you know, I mean, she's indicative of exactly what we're talking about. She got into the grief space, which then led her into the afterlife space. It's kind of hard not to, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, she started the grief stuff in the 60s and by the 70s and 80s, she was like holding seances in San Diego and shit. You know, like she was pretty wild and got These pretty were my out people, there. Man. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I found some awesome video of her like having some like total hippies in the 70s, like beat beat a mattress to get their anger out and all this wild stuff, like a whole group ceremony. I was like, yeah, Elizabeth. Right. Anyway, um, people love, I mean, people have really adopted her stages, partially because I think it, it comes across as like this formula. And I think when you're in a lot of agony and torment with grief, you can be like, okay, I just have to go through these five stages and I'll be better. But that's not how they work. And that's not how she intended them. Grief is much more fluid. It's nonlinear. We go through some stages. Some people never do, you know, all of them. We come in and out of them. Um, Anxiety, I really felt like was missing from just the grief literature and the grief world. Like there wasn't that correlation. When my mom died when I was 18, I mean, I started off immediately by having panic attacks, ended up in an ER at one point, um, really spent most of my 20s and early 30s gripped with anxiety. And there was no one around who connected that to my grief and loss, you know, and the trauma of what I had been through. And it wasn't until I was studying psychology and studying trauma and then studying people who were grieving that I began to link grief and anxiety. And I saw it everywhere. I'm not saying everybody goes through anxiety when they when they lose someone, but a lot of people do. Yeah. And again, I think some of it's this existential thing. You know, how do you go through like a huge loss and not have your world come crashing down? Nothing looks the same anymore. You know, you're like, wait, (laughs) I had this trajectory I was on. I thought that Mm -hmm. this was what life was going to be like. And suddenly the floor just got, you know, ripped out from underneath me. And it's very disarming. It's very dizzying. It's very confusing. I think the amount of emotions we go through with grief are overwhelming. That in itself can cause anxiety. How do you grieve in a culture that doesn't allow space for it? You know, like people are suddenly like, I can't go to uh, a dinner party because I just, I'm, I, I feel too much and there's no space in that, something like that for me. And that, people, other people can't yeah. tolerate that, right? right? Like there's right. so much... I mean, I speak with patients all the time about how difficult it is to go back into the world because other people don't know how to act around people who've lost someone close to them. Yeah. And that in itself causes anxiety. I think a lot of anxiety, um, grief-related anxiety is connected to unprocessed grief. I think a lot of people don't know how to hold space for their own grief. They don't know how to get support for it, move through it. They get the cultural message that they should have this thing wrapped up by, you know, three to six months, they should be fine. Um, And so I think, and I mean, we just saw evidence of that with the new DSM diagnosis, you know, Mm -hmm. like all of these things. But um, I think that that can lead to people trying to really move swiftly through a grief process or tamp it down or ignore it. Then that 
immediately begins to spill out in anxiety, right? If you're shoving down all these feelings of anger or guilt or just sadness or not processing the sometimes traumatic aspects of a loss, um, that's going to come out in anxiety, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, The minute I started writing about this, and I wrote about it a little bit online before the book, which was like years ago, um, people just, I mean, I got more emails about some, I wrote some article for slate.com that had the same title as the book like 10 years ago. Got more emails from that article than anything I've ever done, any talk I've ever given, any book. And people were just like, wait, is this a thing? Grief and anxiety? I think I have it. I think my, you know, my dad died and I'm having panic attacks or my, you know, aunt died and I, I, I'm hypochondria now and, you know, all the, all the things. So. Well, and that's why I think it's so important as you and I were talking before we sort of went live about mm-hmm. this new DSM diagnosis, prolonged grief disorder that, mm-hmm. I mean, what did it just come out maybe Three days ago, yeah. Yeah, this week. Um, I think that there is so much value for people in being able to label what they have, to know Mm -hmm. that there is some, that someone sees them in that Mm -hmm. way, but that it can be very constricting as well. And I think when we think about anxiety as a cluster of symptoms, I think oftentimes people think, well, we'll treat the symptoms, right? And we won't look at what's underlying that. Right. And so if you look deeper, you will see that oftentimes grief is underlying anxiety because there's so much worry. I think about, I mean, I I would argue that probably 95% of the time underneath the anxiety is either a fear of death or grief. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When clients come into me that are, that are, um, you know, with grief related anxiety, I always work in a tandem approach where anxiety is a, a tricky beast. You know, you do have to treat the symptoms. You mm-hmm. do have to teach people, you know, some cognitive behavioral work, some meditation, mindfulness to really work on the anxiety because it can really be debilitating. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like within a session, I'm doing both. I'm, I'm working on some of that stuff, giving them tools, but I'm also really digging into like, you know, what do you, what do you think your grief process has been like so far? How have you grieved? How have you not grieved? How have you been supported by those around you? You know, what have you, what have been your predominant emotions around anxiety or around grief? And, you know, are you carrying any guilt or are you stuffing away sadness? You know, all these things. Um, so it has to be done together. You can't just treat the anxiety. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just starting, I just started listening to Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Mm-hmm. Have you listened or read yet. it yet? Um, I'm not, I'm like in the introduction still, but one of the things she talks about is that they did a survey or in her research studies, they asked people to identify all their emotional states. And most people could only identify three happiness, sadness, and happy, sad, and angry. Wow. Yeah. And and she talked about how limiting, obviously, right? That is, if those are the only three feelings you can identify, what does that Mm -hmm. mean about all this other stuff you're feeling that you don't know what to do with? Yeah. Particularly as it relates to grief, frankly, anything. She's so smart. Yeah. She is. She is. And she has such a great way of just putting into tangible, words what so many of us experience and certainly in the mental health field I think Mm -hmm. as well so what are what can people expect when they're grieving I mean I know that there's no like perfectly linear process but I would imagine that over the course of the hundreds of people maybe thousands tens of thousands of people you've seen talk to that there is there are some similarities that people experience as they move through grief 
Yeah, there are, but I mean, it really is so different. I mean, the overall similarities are, you know, sadness, fear, um, anger, you know, just overwhelm. Um, I think that it's so different for everyone. You know, we grieve the way we do anything. So what is your personality? You know, like, are you um, introverted? Are you extroverted? Like, how do you express emotions? Are you creative? Are you, you know, more of a practical thinker? We grieve in those ways, right? So we we move through things in the same way that we do anything. Um, it depends on the loss itself, the relationship to that person, the way they died. Um, you know, if you it's a, a, an unexpected, you know, accident as opposed to a long drawn out illness brings different things. Um, a, losing a parent as opposed to losing a child, um, you know, those do, those are very different losses. Um, doesn't mean one is bigger or better than the other, but they mm-hmm. bring different kind of movements. Um, there can be a lot of shock and trauma. There can be ruminating thoughts when there's a really hard, heavy death. Sometimes deaths can be peaceful. And I think that we can come out of a death just really missing a person and feeling sad, but not going through a bunch of the other hard stuff, you know? I think one of the things... that's not wrong either. That's not wrong either. Some of us have very complicated relationships with the people we we lose. You know, we didn't have a good relationship, but it was a big person in our life. Um, And that's a complicated grief sometimes to go through. There's feelings of anger, guilt, regret, um, yet also sadness and, you know, missing someone. We can feel betrayed and angry at someone that's died, but also just want them back. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot to kind of you know, sort through in looking at different kinds of losses. But I think one of the things that is so common and that most people don't realize is how long grief lasts. Um, you know, grief does it lasts ever a end? long time. Yeah, I think that I think that there's an acute part of grief that does end. And um, but I think that loss lives with us throughout our lifetimes. You know, you still talk about your aunt and think about her and feel her and her loss shapes, you know, everything about your life today. My mom's been gone 25 years and I'm not, you know, actively and acutely grieving her anymore. But oh my God, her life and death have everything to do with my daily life, you know? And I think that's something most people don't anticipate. Hope Edelman wrote a great book about um, about this that came out during the pandemic called The After Grief. And it looks mm. at how the grief process plays out through a lifetime, um, which is something that I think most people really take for granted. And is that specifically related to, was that specifically related to a death or a grief in any other sort of way, like a significant? She was mostly looking thought. at a death, um, okay. but I think she does extend it in a few places. Yeah. So- can you, I know there's like stage, you, you take people through steps of the process in this book, but you talk about retraining your brain as, and being present as sort of the two most significant important things that someone has to be able to do, but they can't do it until they kind of walk through these other pieces. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what retraining your brain and being present looks like? 
Yeah. Um, again, like you said, I want to emphasize that you can't really kind of get to that section until you've been doing some of that grief work because the grief work is going to keep informing and fueling your anxiety. So it's it's this, again, kind of tandem approach, mm-hmm. um, but really doing the grief work in the beginning, which means sitting with it, opening yourself up to it, exploring how you're grieving, um, what needs to come forth, you know, if you need to work through any feelings of guilt or, you know, things around what happened with the death. Um, But then, you know, getting around to some of this cognitive behavioral work with retraining your brain, I think is really important because what I see happen is that when we lose someone, um, you know, significant and it, it changes the way we view the world, right? So suddenly we have this lens through which we see the world. And now we know that, that, hard things can happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe we really didn't know that up until this moment. Maybe we'd never gone through anything that tough. Maybe we'd never lost someone. And now we suddenly, a lot of people will start to look at the world through a catastrophic lens, right? They start to think, you know, someone's coming home late from work. They're definitely dead in a car accident. I've got a pain in my side. It's definitely cancer. Like, you know, we start to get very fearful um, Mm -hmm. around more things happening. And that's where we have to do some work around changing those thought patterns because they come on without people realizing them. And then you get really stuck in that place of suddenly seeing everything through that lens. And it can become very addictive because it makes you feel like you're doing something by worrying all the time. You feel like you're actually like, you know, enacting some kind of control over your life or you're preparing yourself. Really, you're not. You're keeping yourself in this hypervigilant state all Mm -hmm. the time. That's really not good for you. And the world doesn't help with that. Right. Not at all. Like the news and all of that. Right. Yeah. So doing some work to, you know, to get really present when we're grieving and when we're anxious, we're spending a ton of time in the past thinking about what happened, what life was like, how it led up to now. And then we're spending a ton of time in the future thinking about like worrying about things that might or might not happen, um, seeing the world through this different way, um, you know, just thinking about how we're going to be alone or on our own now without that person. So whatever you can do to bring yourself to the present moment and just get really clear on being here right now. You know, anxiety at its core is just the, it's the fear of something real or imagined, Mm -hmm. right? And when you're grieving, it's kind of both because something real has happened. Something scary has actually happened, something hard. And you're now imagining all kinds of other things happening, right? So starting to get to know your thoughts and just not giving them so much power when they are those catastrophic thoughts. Do people sense. need a grief, a specific grief therapist to do this? Or do you feel like a good therapist who can really tolerate that space is is okay? It's It's hard to say. I mean... I think doing the grief work is super important. Um, it's you can't get there without it, mm-hmm. but you also need someone who can help you with some of the the anxiety tools, mm-hmm. you know, because the anxiety can be insidious. And if you're not working on it, it really just takes root and, and it grows often. And so doing that work to, sorry, if you can hear my kids running no. around upstairs. <laughs> it's, we're recording this on a Sunday. So both of us are like, okay, let's keep our fingers crossed that we don't get you know, I, I don't know what, like a massive amount of children that are going to like pour in on our parade or something. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think finding the right therapist, um, 
is definitely important. I think, you know, as we can with our physical health doctors, we can always bring stuff to our therapists, be like, hey, I think I need to work on some anxiety. Do you have tools for that? Or I really need to work on grief, even if your therapist doesn't necessarily specialize in those things. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, even I'm not a grief trained therapist, but I think any, almost anybody I've worked with, I don't know anybody that I've worked with actually that hasn't dealt with some sort of loss. Mm -hmm. So I've, you know, done readings around this and things like that, that make me feel like, okay, I could handle yeah, certainly something like this, but you are actually excitingly, it's not even a word. Um, I, I'm excited to say you are offering something for therapists right now for people who are mental health professionals. Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, you asked me about the pandemic earlier. And I think one of the things that we really saw during the pandemic was that we need to have more grief training, mm-hmm. um, not just for therapists, but for healthcare workers, for teachers, for, you know, workplace um, management. Um, I've, I've been consulting in all of those areas the last two years, everybody I've been like going into Twitter and talking about grief. I've been, you know, like so many different places, um, because people were unprepared to, to take on all of the grief that's been happening, people coming back into workplace with grief, people coming back into schools with grief, um, so much. And so um, I'm I'm really excited. I, I'm, I'm launching my first grief certification training, um, and it's open to teachers, counselors, coaches, um, you know, nurses, anyone like that. And I will be. Um, it's a six week virtual training with live instruction from me. And we're going to be deep diving into grief so that people are better prepared to you know, meet that demand because it just keeps growing too. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, what's great is like you're planting little seedlings in all these communities, right? So they can go off and grow and help other people, which is what we, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, I actually heard you interview someone on your podcast, A New Day, about a mental health. It was, they have like a mental health, um, is it like a think tank or I forget what it was. Um, There's been um, so many people lately. <laughs> um, and they were, he was talking about how they're talking about like training hairdressers and yeah, all of these different totally. people because ben they're Miller. all mm-hmm. touch points yeah. for people. Yeah. Right? I loved and, that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. People a, are getting facials and like talking about their, their recent loss and mm-hmm. none of us are, you know, really equipped all the time to take that on, but it would be so helpful if we were. Mm-hmm. Well, and people yeah. don't even know how to say something as simple as like, I think it, maybe it would be helpful for you to find a professional to talk to about right. that, right? Like right. they're they're afraid to say that or afraid that someone might think that they're crazy, you know, that then yeah. saying that they'll think that they're crazy or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I think that that's, that's so powerful that you're doing that because it's going to help so Thank many you. more people. I'm so excited about it. I just feel like my, like all I want to do is just help expand the conversation around grief and like Mm -hmm. help other people open up spaces for grief. And I get so excited when I meet people like you who are doing that. And just, you know, I think back to, I'm sure you think about this too, with your experience initially with your aunt, but like, I think back to being 18 when my mom died 25 years ago and 
I had no idea where to turn. I didn't know what to do. Even the therapists I saw didn't know what to do with me and talk about grief. And and so I just kind of shut it all away, you know, and, and just sat in my room having panic attacks. And mm-hmm. um, there weren't the kind of books there are now. There wasn't the social media there. You know, there weren't online courses. There wasn't all the stuff there is now, which is so, so great. I'm so happy about it. And I want to just keep adding to that conversation. And I think after these last two years, we finally realize how important that is. Well, I mean, if, if anything hit us in the face real hard, it was death and grief. Like mm-hmm. it was, I think at the, I mean, it was at the forefront yeah. of but what I think, we you know, All that anxiety about. that people had of just like having their life upended. It was the same mm-hmm. feeling of when you go through a big loss, you know, we were all just going along as a world, as mm-hmm. a culture, like, you know, here's planning our summer and then everything just got ripped away, you right. know? And then we and were then, watching Tiger King. Yeah. Oh God. We're, uh, Doesn't that know. feel like so long ago? That feels ago. like so long ago. That gave me like a weird flashback. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and I think I think you know we what we did was we sat in uncertainty for months, and I think that was a really good lesson for us because at its core, life is always uncertain. But mm-hmm. it, we have this illusion that it's not, and yeah. um, and I think we got some really great life lessons about how to sit with uncertainty and how to be here and how to hold that and how and to how we respond life. each individually to that uncertainty, right? Like totally. that was like a mirror of saying, "Oh, oh, wow." Yeah, this is how I'm responding to that. And then how we respond. And for those of us with families and how our kids respond to us as a result of that. And I mean, it's just been a lot of mirroring, holding up a mirror. And I think a lot of introspection, if you've been able to think about how you responded to all of this. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, again, that's that kind of gift of of grief, you Mm -hmm. know, it, there's been some positives. You always grow from these things. It's Mm -hmm. painful, but, um, often you look back and you're grateful for all the ways that you've grown. How do, what do you believe happens when we die? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, going through that experience of that book, really, I came out on the other side with a real faith that there is something beyond this. I went into it very, um, existential, you know, very atheist in a way. And I came out of it very agnostic. (laughs) Mm. Um, I do not feel like I, I have abilities to connect to the other side. I had some profound spiritual moments along that journey that, that have stayed with me to this day. Some of them were 30 seconds long, but they were so profound that I can kind of call them up and conjure them up um, when I want to. But most days I'm like a super busy mom running around to Target and school <laughs> pickups and writing books and seeing clients. And I find it difficult to tap into that spiritual side unless I'm very deliberately practicing it. Um, and And so while I believe that there is more, I'm really not sure what there is. And um, I love having those moments that I can tap into. I look forward to a a, a kind of slower, deeper portion of my life when I don't have children in diapers and I can like really kind of do a lot more meditation and kind of spiritual seeking um, Mm -hmm. because I think it is a practice. I think in order to stay tuned into that realm, we have to really make space for it. But I do believe that there's more. I do believe that we are connected to the people that we love and lose and that, you know, that relationship is never over. Um, 
I think that there's just so much love that's always accessible and always there, which gives me a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. Can we do a quick speed round? Yeah. Okay. Just some fun questions. Okay. Spirituality means? Oh, practice. <laughs> <laughs> what is something most people don't know about you? I've seen every episode of every season of the X-Files like three times. That's hilarious. <laughs> How do you have time for that? When did it was you like more this? of like a thing in my 20s and yeah. 30s, but man, I loved that show. I'm thinking of my daughter. I think she's watched, um, what's the show with Blake Lively? The Gossip teen, Girl. Gossip Girl. Yeah. yeah. I think she's watched that about three times. Um, what is one thing you're really looking forward to right now? Mm. Um, I'm really looking forward to this grief certification training. How dorky is that? I just, um, I'm excited about that and summer and my kids and all my work. I love my work. What is one thing you are deeply grateful for? Mm. Um, my parents and everything that they gave me, even though they're gone and it's been so hard, I can't imagine who I would be if I hadn't gone through all that. Mm -hmm. What book is on your nightstand? Books, plural, like if you're 40. anything like me. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, right now I'm reading Melissa Phoebos's new book. Um, it's it's a it's a memoir kind of nonfiction about writing memoir and it's blowing my mind. What is it mm. called? It's called Body Work. Um, it's amazing. Melissa Wait, it's Phoebus. a memoir about it's kind of a memoir nonfiction about writing memoir. And huh. yeah, it's really amazing. You should check it out. It's called okay. Body Work. Body Work. Writing that down. I'll add it to my 25 books on my night. Right? <laughs> yes. um, okay. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice? Meditation. Absolutely. Um, and I like, I, I talk about meditation all the time, but I don't think it has to be this like Zen Buddhist, perfect mountaintop situation. Um, I think it's about getting to know your thoughts and um, learning how to choose to be with certain thoughts and choose not to with others and how profound that can be in terms of when we're grieving, when we're anxious, when we're angry, you know, um, we often let our thoughts run away with us and we don't have to. Mm-hmm. And what is the most transformative experience of your life? Oof. <laughs> uh, as if there's that, just one. Right. I know. I know. The first thing that popped into my head was holding my dad's hand as he died. That was the first time I ever sat with someone as they died and saw someone dead. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no escaping, um, the truth of our humanity in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And there's so much beauty in it too. Yeah. I was, I think I was Maybe it might have been in your book I was reading and you were talking about BJ Miller talking about a good death mm-hmm. um, and what it can mean to give someone a good death. And mm-hmm. I've actually talked about that recently with someone else I interviewed how we we don't think about that. We've become so medicalized that we don't yeah. think about how beautiful it is to kind of yeah. usher someone out of the world. Absolutely. Like we spend so much time thinking about ushering someone into the world. Yeah, I gave birth to two kids when I was working in hospice and the parallels between bringing people into the world and seeing people out were profound, you know, and we were giving so we are giving so much reverence all the time to bringing people in and not nearly enough to ferrying them out, you know, we all come in and out and we should do it with respect and honor and ritual and dignity love and tenderness. Yeah, dignity. Yeah. 
Well, Claire, if people are interested in your work, if they want to sign up for your grief workshop, which if you are thinking about you're offering CEUs, I believe, CEUs, continuing yeah. education, which mm-hmm. is huge for all of us who need those. Right. Um, and then I'm I'm creating a grief resource directory too, because I cannot possibly meet the demand um, that I have on me as a therapist for people who seek out, you know, therapy, grief clients or grief work. And um, so you can just find everything at my website, clairebidwellsmith.com. I have a 15% off code for your listeners, Amy. Thank it's you. It's just um, grief15. They can put okay. in. Perfect. And, um, and then you can find me on all the social media, just clairebidwellsmith. And I'm sure that everybody who's listening today feels about you the way I, or feels you coming through in the way that I've always felt, just kind of watching and observing you is how genuine and warm and kind. And mm. um, I think you just exude this sense of, of reverence and care for what you do and for people. And that's just a beautiful thing. So thank you thank for- Thank you so much. Thank you the same way about you. Being, thank you for this work that you're yeah, doing. Yeah, I know, I know. And I, I'm so hoping that our paths continue to cross and weave in oh, yeah. and out of one another's because- for sure. Um, I have, I have so much respect for you and for what thank you're doing. You. So Likewise. thank you for taking the time today. Get back to your kiddos. Hopefully it's <laughs> beautiful and it's sunny nice there. I'm down here for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Right. I hear you. So thank you so much, Claire. And um, everybody who's listening, you know, go check out all of Claire's work. It's amazing. I'm definitely having you back to talk about your next books when thank those you. come out. And Thank you. So have a wonderful day. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.